Well, hey, Valley family, we are in week number two of a series called How to Live Through a Bad Day. My name is Pastor Randy. I am not Dr. Greg. We might both be white and bald, but we are not the same person. Dr. Greg is in Moldova, Transnistria, Tiraspol. Uh, I don't know that I could point out any of those places on a map, to be honest, but that's where they are uh, this weekend, and, and um, they're just over there getting together with the church that's over there, and really kind of, they're on mission. They're on mission. Doc is, is speaking uh, to the church, the church leadership. Susie is speaking to the woman there. They're really, uh, they're really doing a work for the Lord over there. So what I'd like to do is, is first just pray for them this morning. So Lord Jesus, we just ask you to bless the Williamson family as they're over there in, uh, in Europe, as they're, as they're doing work for you, as they're on mission for you, Lord, that you would give them grace and peace, God, that you would give them knowledge, wisdom, and understanding, Lord, and just guide them, guide their path, and let them come back safely, Lord. In the name of Jesus, God, amen. Well, all right. Like I said, we are in week number two of a series called How to Live Through a Bad Day. It's a series that deals with the seven things that Jesus said on the cross, the, 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 the seven things. So in the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there are seven things between those gospels that Jesus is depicted as saying on the cross. Uh, it's a series that's going to run all the way up until Easter, including Good Friday. And a bad day is incidentally what Good Friday is all about. Good Friday uh, was a terrible day for Jesus. It is a great day for us as Christians, as believers, because it's the day that, that Jesus took our sins on the cross. He paid the penalty for our sins. But a bad day, a terrible day even for Jesus, because that was the day that he was physically crucified. So, how to live through a bad day. Like I said, the seven statements of Jesus when he's on the cross, they're right at the end of his life. And even there during his biggest trial, we find him able to impart incredible life lessons. Last week, week one of the series was based on that very famous thing that Jesus said, where he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That was, that was week number one. Dr. Greg preached that. If you missed that one, I, I highly recommend going back and checking out our video archive because it was a good one. Uh, and the lesson from that really was, the lesson from that was, you got to learn how to forgive everybody who's trying to ruin your life. you got to forgive everyone, even the people who are trying to ruin your life. So go back, check that one out if you missed it. But that was week one, dealing with the first saying of Jesus on the cross, which is, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. Uh, this week we're dealing with the second saying of Jesus on the cross. And speaking of the cross, if you've ever seen a picture of the crucifixion, you might be uh, familiar with a picture where it's like, it's not just one cross. There's a cross in the middle where Jesus is on, and then there's a cross to, to either the left and to the right. There's somebody on his left and somebody crucified on his right. So he wasn't crucified by himself. He was crucified with people around him. They were also crucified. They were being executed for uh, things that they had done. Um, now, if you were, if you're, you know, if you were new and maybe you never heard that before, maybe you would think, well, uh, maybe, was, it, was it one of the disciples? Was it one of the apostles that was crucified next to Jesus? Because maybe that would make sense. Maybe, maybe like a, a Peter or a John, uh, we could see them getting crucified next to Jesus on the cross. But no, it wasn't the case. Because even though his, his followers, his closest apostles and friends, they were all like, Jesus, we're going to follow you to the end, Jesus. No matter what happens, Jesus, we're going to follow you to the end. When the time actually came for Jesus to be taken to the cross, they ran away. They ran away. In my opinion, they had their, their opportunity to possibly be crucified next to Jesus. And wouldn't that have changed history? Wouldn't that have been incredible in the moment they're suffering, but throughout eternity they're remembered as the ones who were crucified to Jesus' left and Jesus' right because they didn't give up on Jesus. That's not what happened. In the moment, because of fear, maybe because of unbelief, they ran away. They abandoned Jesus. 
And he ended up being, instead of crucified next to his followers and his friends, he was crucified next to a couple of random criminals. Random criminals. In English, these criminals are often referred to as thieves in the Bible story. Thieves. And, and thieves in English kind of like gives this idea maybe of like somebody who might come at four in the morning and break into your car and steal your cell phone. That would be a thief, right? Or maybe somebody who like pickpockets other people on the subway. That would be a thief. Somebody who kind of does things in secret, stealthily. And in Greek, there's a word for that. There's a word for that. It's called kleptes. Kleptes. It's where we get our English word kleptomaniac. Someone who steals, steals in secret especially and in stealth. Kleptes. That's not the word that's used in the Greek for these guys crucified next to Jesus. It's actually leistes. Leistes. Leistes means stealing in the open, especially, typically with violence, a robber. Maybe a bandit. Somebody who doesn't have a problem exploiting the vulnerable, even with violence. Somebody who's been a bad, bad, bad guy. These guys are bad dudes. So these guys are the ones that are crucified alongside Jesus. And three of the Gospels record them doing what you'd expect a couple of bad guys to be doing right off the bat. They're there hurling insults at Jesus. They're on the cross. They're being crucified in that moment. They're in excruciating pain. And they're still looking at Jesus, hurling insults at Jesus, along with people in the crowd. And to set that stage for you, to set that scene for you a little bit, to set that scene for you, Jesus is up on the cross, and there's so many people just there that are mocking, insulting, humiliating him. The leaders, the officials, the Pharisees, the, the religious leaders of the day, they're, they're standing right there, right by Jesus, and they're looking up at him, and they're saying, <laughs> look at this guy. He helped others, but now he can't help himself. And they're laughing with each other. They're having a great time. They're saying, why don't you just call on your father if you are who you say you are? The Bible also says that there's bystanders, there's onlookers, people who are just kind of walking by, walking by, and they're looking up at Jesus on the cross, and they know him, and they're saying, ha, come down from the cross if you're the Son of God. Mocking. The soldiers are there in this scene too. The soldiers are, are, are there from the time of his arrest, and even right before he's crucified, before he's led away to the cross, what the soldiers do is they dress Jesus up in a scarlet robe, like a fancy scarlet robe, so they strip him, they take his own clothes off him. They beat him. They find a fancy scarlet robe. Scarlet was like a color of royalty back in the day. So they're basically given the impression that he's like a king, right? So they're dressing him up like a king. Give him a scarlet robe. They twist a, a crown of thorns. Of course, that feels absolutely terrible when they put it on his head and they push it down. The thorns dig it into his flesh. He's got the scarlet robe on. They give him like a staff. They put it in his hand as if it's like a scepter. And then they bow down before him and they mock him. They say, hail king of the Jews. Hail king of the Jews. And they stand up. They spin his face. They take the, 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 the staff from his hand and they beat him over the head with it. And that's what they were doing to Jesus even before they crucified him. They led him away to be crucified. So you got the, the leaders are there mocking him. The onlookers and the bystanders are mocking him. The soldiers are humiliating him looking and insulting him. And even the two people, one on his left and on his right, they are there and they are mocking him as well, hurling insults. But it's funny because three of the Gospels 
detail of these two guys and they're hurling insults at Jesus while they're also on the cross. But the fourth gospel includes a funny detail. You see, somewhere during this whole humiliating ordeal, and it's an ordeal that lasts for hours, by the way. Sometimes like a crucifixion, it would last for days because it was designed to be terrible and to last a long time before you actually died. So somewhere during this ordeal, this, you know, the Bible says Jesus lasted about six hours. Somewhere during these hours of pain, being crucified next to these other two guys, one of those criminals, one of those robbers, bandit guys, has a change of heart. And Luke chapter 23 picks it up here. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us, but mockingly, right? When the other criminal rebuked him and said, don't you fear God? Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly for we're getting what our deeds deserve. So he recognized that they're being punished justly. But this man, Jesus, he has done nothing wrong. And then, watch what he does here. He says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him and said, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now we don't know what it was that this robber saw, that this, that this guy saw, this criminal saw, that, that made him change his mind or that, that caused him to, to take his attention off of his own suffering for a moment and look to Jesus who was going through the same thing. We don't know what caused him to have this change of heart. Maybe it was the fact that even though this robber was being crucified and he was in intense pain and the guy next to him was also in intense pain, that when he looked at Jesus, Jesus is saying crazy stuff like, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I know if I was the criminal in that case, I would be yelling, screaming, blaming heaven and earth, saying whatever that came through my pain-addicted and addled mind in that moment. But Jesus has this like unspeakable, unimaginable grace to his suffering. And I think, I think that's what called this criminal's attention, what really made him understand maybe who Jesus was. So this statement here, the I tell you the truth today, you'll be with me in paradise. And this exchange between the two of them, between Jesus and that criminal, it brings us to our lesson for this week. Again, last week was forgive everyone who's trying to ruin your life. And this week it's learn to see beyond your own struggles. Learn to see beyond your own struggles. Now I don't know how you guys handle your struggles, but I, and I suspect it's not just me here, I... I'd like to say that I handle struggles better than I actually do. Because left to my own devices, even in small struggles, I tend to immediately start feeling sorry for myself. Oh, why me, God? Why does this have to happen to me? Why? I don't understand. Oh. Totally me. Ask my wife sometimes how I deal with like a small struggle, like a cold or something. It's like Randy gets a sniffle. <laughs> and my wife's like, she knows I'm going to start acting like I got two broken legs. <laughs> Oh, man, she, she will clearly, like, immediately, she'll tell you the truth. She'll just roll her eyes and be like, yep, that's true, that's true. But I know I'm not the only one. And it's that sometimes when we're like that with little things, with little struggles in our life, then we're at danger of the big ones because when the big ones come, the danger is that they just sweep us right off our feet. They sweep us right off our feet. So learning to see beyond our own struggles, getting that focus off of ourselves and off of our situation is so important. So we came up with three ways, three ways that we can learn to see beyond our own struggles. 
The first one here, how we get our eyes off our own struggle, well, number one is obvious. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Jesus is our example. He was in the struggle on that cross. He was in the biggest struggle of his life. And even in the struggle, he was able to see beyond himself to the greater good. He shows us, shows us it's possible even in the worst of situations to look beyond your struggle. He had the presence of mind, the thoughtfulness to think outside himself even during the biggest struggle of his life. He was being put to death. He was in tremendous pain. He resisted the urge to obsess over his own pain and his own situation, and he willfully thought about the pain of another, the person next to him. That's crazy deep. And in the process of dying this tremendously painful death, torture even, he looked at the guy to his side and responded, and he said, today you will be with me in paradise. It's one thing to help people during your good times. It's a completely different thing to help people when we're in our bad times, when we're on our worst of days. But Jesus shows us it's possible. So we look to Jesus as our example in the struggle, and then we look to Jesus as our Savior in the struggle. Because when we're struggling, we got to look to Jesus to pull us through. It sounds obvious, but we neglect to do this all the time. Pain has a funny way of blinding us to anything outside of our current situation. You see, the thief looked to him on the cross. He was a hardened criminal. He was a hardened criminal. And he was being tortured. He was being put to death in, in the worst possible way to put someone to death. This is not the electric chair. The electric chair is way too kind. It is way too kind. This is not what crucifixion was. Crucifixion was designed to be the most painful and longest lasting death that you could possibly give to someone. Terrible. A terrible, terrible punishment. So much so that the word excruciating that we have in English, that word was defined by crucifixion because excruciating actually means, when you break it apart, excruciating means from crucifixion. Excruciating. Crucifixion defined the word excruciating. Let that sink in. And this Criminal next to Jesus is going through that excruciating pain. It was designed to physically and emotionally exhaust you while it destroyed you. Designed to humiliate you while it killed you. And you didn't die just from like the wounds in your hands. That would be too good. You died from a whole host of other things, a whole host of other possibilities. Asphyxiation, exhaustion. Cardiac rupture. I didn't even know that existed. Pulmonary embolisms. All kinds of stuff. We're not even talking about animals. That happened. Man, if you ever want to like ruin the rest of your Sunday, go to Wikipedia and just read the giant entry on crucifixion. It is horrifying. It is absolutely horrifying. And I say that like kind of with tongue in cheek, but at the same time, there's really a value to understand what Jesus and what these guys are, are going through in this moment. It's so central to our faith. It's worth it. It literally defined the word excruciating. On the worst day of that thief's life, Jesus was right there with him. And by reaching out to Jesus, by looking beyond his own struggle there on that cross, by looking to Jesus... The worst day of his life was in a way turned to be his best day 
Because even in that fiery trial, that fiery trial, and it was like that on the cross, he found salvation in Jesus. He might have been losing his life on this earth, but he was gaining his life in the next. You see, what the enemy intended for evil, God longed to turn around and use for good. And maybe what the enemy intended for evil in your life through your struggles, God intends to redeem that and do something amazing in that. The thief called to Jesus in his struggle. Will you call to Jesus in your struggle? Will you invite him into your struggle today? When the thief looked beyond his own struggles, when he looked to Jesus, he found peace. And we got to learn how to do that. You see, Hebrews chapter 4 says this. Jesus understands every weakness of ours. Every weakness. Because he was tempted in every way that we are. But he didn't sin. So whenever we are in need, we should come bravely before the throne of our merciful God. There we will be treated with undeserved kindness and we will find help. He was tempted in every way. He experienced all kinds of trial, all kinds of struggle, all kinds of suffering. He wasn't just crucified. He was abandoned. He was was lied about. He was betrayed. He was persecuted, slandered, plotted against, ostracized, falsely accused, mocked, tortured, killed. He went through it all. And he was also tempted, the Bible says right there, he was tempted with every kind of sin that you and me and everybody else has ever been on this earth has ever been tempted by. He was tempted by sin in every way that we are. He understands our struggles. Anything that you could possibly be going through, he understands it. Look beyond your own struggles and see Jesus because he can relate to it all. Now, the second thing that we can do that will help us see beyond our own struggles is this. We can look for proper perspective. Look for proper perspective. And you're not going to like this one. I'm sorry. You're not going to like this one. The proper perspective is this. Our lives are but a mist. It's like a morning vapor or a morning fog. James 4.14 says, your life is like the morning fog. It's here for a little while and then it's gone. Here for a little while and then it's gone. And we don't like to think about that. It makes people uncomfortable. It makes me uncomfortable. Thinking about our own mortality is, is, is not a pleasant thing. It is just not. We don't like to be reminded of that. I know that I don't, but it comes with this. We might be going through a heck of a trial, a heck of a struggle, but it's temporary. It's temporary. And with Jesus, the proper perspective is that we are a whole lot more blessed than we realize. We're a whole lot more blessed than we realize. Now, talking about trials, let's read what Paul had to say in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18. This guy, right before these verses, he's talking about all these trials that they've been through, and he, and he sums it up, and he says this. Even though we've gone through all this stuff, we don't lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away. Some translations say, though our bodies are dying, passing away. Yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles. Light and momentary afflictions, struggles. They are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. That far outweighs all that. 
So we fix our eyes on Jesus, not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, like our lives here, but what is unseen is eternal. Go back to the last slide just for a second. Light and momentary troubles. This is being written by the guy who was beaten, stoned, tortured, all these things. He was chased from town to town. He had just finished a couple of verses before talking about how he, they were hard-pressed on every side, perplexed, persecuted, struck down. He was tortured by stoning. Like people picked up stones and just threw them at this guy and he took it. He knows struggle. And he called all those things in the proper perspective of eternity. He called all those things light and momentary troubles or afflictions. Can you believe that? I stub my toe and I can't go without thinking about that and obsessing over that and thinking that's the biggest affliction in the world in that moment. And this guy has been shipwrecked three times. He spent a day and a night in the open sea after a shipwreck, and he's turning around and calling that a light and momentary affliction. Talk about perspective. Hebrews 12, 2. This is how he did it. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who began and finished this race we're in. He's the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega, the first and the last. He both began and finished this race we're in. And it's saying that we're in this race. Races go fast, right? Yeah, he's talking about life. Life is like a, a morning vapor, like a fog. It's here for a little while in the morning, and then you look out the window 20 minutes later, it's gone. That's like our life. So we're supposed to keep our eyes on Jesus. He began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it. Well, he looked beyond his struggles, that's for sure. He looked beyond his own struggles. Because he never lost sight of where he was headed, that exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way, anything. This is what Paul was saying when he's saying light and momentary afflictions out in the open sea. I can't even imagine. He's like quick and easy. Why? He had the proper perspective. He could put up with anything along the way. Jesus put up with cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor right alongside God. This life is temporary. It's like a race to the finish line. It doesn't last forever. It's over quick. And what's at the finish line is so worth it, people. So worth it that everything else that we have struggled with on this earth pales in comparison to the glory of God that awaits us, that awaits those who trust in the hope that is Jesus Christ. Can you grab hold of that? In your struggle, in your trial, even right now, Maybe you are shattered right now. In that moment, in this time, can you reach out of your own struggles and find that eternal perspective?
that proper perspective. It's so important. It's such a blessing when we do that. What's worth it on the other side is worth putting up with all these trials and struggles along the way. You're more blessed than you realize. And the third way to see beyond your struggle, the third way is to look to help others who are experiencing your same struggle. That might sound counterintuitive. Well, I'm struggling. How am I going to help other people? Well, that's actually how God kind of made us, right? We're all human beings. We all have issues. We all have trials. We all have struggles. We all suffer from time to time. There's nothing that you're going through that you've gone through that somebody else hasn't gone through, even if it's just Jesus. But I can pretty much guarantee you that somebody else has gone through something extremely similar to the trial that you're going through right now. And maybe you're a little bit further along in your struggle than some other people are, and they're coming up behind you, and they're looking to make the same mistakes that you might have made, and you got some wisdom now. you got some perspective now. Where maybe you can reach out to them and you can help someone who is experiencing your same struggle. Helping others is a great way for us to get our eyes off ourselves and off of our own issues. Helping others. Honestly, maybe, maybe you're a recovering addict. Maybe that's your struggle. But maybe you're a little bit further down the road now. And maybe God has given you some wisdom. God has given you some victory. Where even though you might consider that a struggle, even a lifelong struggle, you can be used to go and speak to somebody else who is in the depths, the pit, the hell of that struggle currently. And you can speak to them and you can tell them that God has a plan and a purpose for their life and that you are a living testimony of the grace of God that you have gone through that struggle. You've been scraped along the bottom. But God was more than enough for you. And you can speak that life to them and inspire them. You can look to help others who are experiencing your same struggle. Maybe you've been divorced. Maybe you can help somebody who's going through a divorce. Maybe you grew up in church and strayed. Maybe you went away. Maybe you left. Maybe you're done for years. Maybe you pulled the old prodigal prodigal son, prodigal daughter thing where you just left your heavenly father and walked away and said, I want to experience what this world has, baby. It looks so exciting. And you took those riches. You took all of that. And you went out and you spent it all. You spent it all on things that couldn't satisfy. And yet you still hungered. Until you starved. Until one day, just like in that story, the prodigal son, he finds himself standing next to a bunch of pigs watching them eat, and he's envying what they're eating. And he's like, why don't I just go home to my father? Maybe that's you. Maybe that's your story. Maybe after years of spending your life on things that aren't going to last, You've come back and you've found your way back to the arms of your father. What more powerful, what more powerful thing than for you to be able to go to somebody else 
who's done the same, who's out there in the world right now, who's starving right now, and say, listen, brother, sister, I've been there. It's not worth it. Go back to the arms of your father. Go back into the arms of your heavenly father. He will receive you. Come home. Can you imagine? Look beyond your own struggles by looking to help others who share your same struggle. You see, it's so important to live a life that's not just focused on us. It's so important to live a life that's not just focused on us. Your stories have power. They're called testimonies for a reason. You can help people with your experience in the struggle. Man, every time I tell my story, and I was, I was homeless when I was like 20, I, I bounced around. I'm not going to get into all the details. But every time I, I tell my story about being homeless, without fail, without fail, somebody comes and finds me in one of the hallways and wants to talk to me about a relative or, or a loved one that's dealing with the same thing, like right now. And I'll never turn them away. And honestly, it's an honor, right? It's an honor. My struggles in the past have become an honor now because God has taken somebody like me who is as far away from God as pretty much humanly possible in my opinion. And if God has done something in my life and transformed my life and turned my life around, even though I was once lost, but now I am found, then there's hope for anybody. And I love to share those struggles because in those struggles is not my shame, but it is God's glory. Share your struggles. Use those struggles to help other people who are going through that same struggle. Use them. We say, well, Pastor Randy, what if my struggle's different? What if I'm just like flat out suffering? What if it's something in my body or something in my mind? I just can't beat it. What if I'm coming up to it? I'm coming up to what could potentially be the end. How do I help someone when I feel so helpless? First, I'll say, you're not alone. God will never leave you or forsake you, no matter what it is you're passing through. Find that perspective. Look to Jesus. Find that perspective. But at the same time, I would say that if you're going through something that's that intense of a struggle, that's the trial of your life maybe, remember Jesus on the cross. It's possible to suffer well. And we're not always going to feel, we're not always going to feel like it's awesome and we're not always going to be able to be perfect in our sufferings. Of course we're going to be human. But the way that you suffer well is this. Even if you're, even if you're up against the wall, even if you're really facing it, you let them see your hope. Let them see your hope. That no matter what you're going through, and you're going to be human, of course, you're going to have your ups and your downs. Let them see your hope in that struggle. 
the hope that you cling to, the hope that Jesus is really who he says that he is. Whew. There's nothing more powerful than that. I'm not saying fake it. I'm not saying, yeah, just go ahead and tell everybody, oh, it's fine, don't worry about it. Yeah, I feel great, this is awesome. I'm doing really awesome. No, because it's not about that either. Just let them see the hope that you have. You may be scared. You may be in tremendous pain. Maybe you won't make it. Lord Jesus, your amazing grace, Lord, in these situations, Lord, your mercy in this situation, Lord, if people are passing through that kind of struggle, God. that they would be able to rise up and say, though my body might fail me, though my mind might be failing me, Jesus, you will never fail me, God. I may be down for the count, God, but you, Lord, I will hold on to that hope of you, God, until my final breath, Lord Jesus. When you do that, when you're able to do that, when you ask God to help you do that, there's almost nothing more impactful for somebody watching that. Lord, I want to pray. Lord Jesus, life can be so deceitful, God. Lord, we can, we can think of all these different distractions to keep our eyes off of you, Lord. We can, we can if we want to, we can be distracted 24-7, Lord. We can be distracted every day, every hour, every minute of the day for years, God. And the world on top of that is so deceitful, God. So many in the world don't know you. They don't have the hope that is in you. They don't have that perspective of the truth of how this life really is, God. Lord, I would just pray, God, right now that no matter the struggle, the trial, the temptation to sin, no matter what it is, Lord, that we might be experiencing in our lives, that your grace would be sufficient, Lord. That your love would be overwhelming, God. That you would remind us that we're not alone in this. Help us to see beyond our struggles, God. Help us to look to you, Lord. Help us to help others who are also in the struggle, God. Help us, Jesus. We love you, Lord. We praise you, for we are fearfully and wonderfully made by you, God. And one day we will be before you face to face, Lord, praising your name with thanksgiving with all the other saints, God, that have run this race that has been temporary, Lord, but worth it because these light and momentary afflictions, God, mean nothing compared to the glory that awaits us in Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.